I took my first drink at 21 years old with Dr. Dre. He asked me if I wanted a drink, so I just said, yeah. But, but prior to that, drinking wasn't my thing. So that later became an addiction. And then when we become artists, hip-hop artists I'm talking about, black culture, we make records, say other rappers' names in a competitive spirit, and we used to be worried about beef on track spilling over into the streets. Now we worry about street beef spilling over onto tracks because that escalates everything. So I came to the conclusion that we being hired to kill ourselves. We come from all these different places of judgment. We eat all the wrong food. We go to the funerals of the people who died a little bit sooner than us. We pass judgment, we say, oh, y'all wasn't there. Y'all wasn't there for him. Well, he made a choice to become an addict. He ain't had to choose to become an addict. Anybody talking like that about DMX, you don't know shit about addiction. Where the fuck is Puff? Why he ain't helping Black Rob? What's up with Jay-Z? Did he buy the Masters? You don't know shit about Puff. You don't know shit about Jay-Z. You don't know shit about the record business. Me, Charlemagne, Van Lathan, all of us, we tell you you need therapy. You don't want therapy because you don't know shit about therapy. One thing's for sure, two things for certain. It's like we being hired to fucking kill ourselves. We go to the funeral, we eat the same food at the repast that put the motherfucker in the casket. To grieve through the process and to get ourselves through that process, we do the same drugs, we drink the same liquor, the same syrup, pop the same pills, all the same shit that we do in the studio because we told ourselves that's what we need to create. And we want to make it so bad that we're willing to leave it all in the ring. We're willing to leave it all on the floor. We're willing to put it all on the line. So everybody that like worried about me, that's been worrying about me my whole career, I'm sorry for everything that I put y'all through. All of the strong black women that's been behind me, my wife, my mother, I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. Stop talking shit. Because y'all don't know shit. Let Black Rob rest. Let DMX rest. Think of something positive to say. Stop saying, if we would have just, how come we wait until people die to start giving them their flowers? Niggas got their flowers. Placing DMX on a higher pedestal than he was already on, if you think that that would have somehow healed him in some type of way, or you think that he chose addiction, or you think that somebody could have somehow fixed him, you don't know shit about addiction. But the youngins looking at this, just look at it and learn something from it. You're looking at your future. If you're doing all the same illicit drugs and drinking and all of that shit, you're looking at your future. If you're online talking about what you're going to do to a nigga when you see him, talking about who you done did something to on a song, you're looking at your future. That's imminent death, my nigga. We ain't here to do nothing but make music. We're not here for all of the, the extra shit. So, get off Clubhouse for a minute and just do some reflecting. And think about the people that you love. 
I know all of this shit make me want to be super intentional about the way I do everything. Everything that is Royce. Super intentional about being a father. Super intentional about being somebody's friend. Super intentional about the way I love somebody. That love is not reciprocated. I'm a cancer. I'm super intentional about how fucked up and hurt I am about it. Rest in peace to Black Rob and DMX. And my prayers and condolences go out to the families. Y'all, this is um, the Brain Love Podcast, and I wanted to share that video. Someone sent that to me, a friend in D.C., Dr. Ant. And um, I just wanted to play that first before I go into tonight's episode. I wanted this to be the first thing that you hear. He basically said that Black Rob that he became addicted to alcohol at the age of 21. And um, my first drink. he mentioned taking his first drink at 21. Dr. Dre shared it with him, and after that, he was addicted. And so Black Rob was 52 when he died. The cause was cardiac arrest. He had all, he had a lot of health issues, including diabetes, which is elevated blood sugar, lupus, kidney failure. I think I'm pretty sure he was on dialysis or close to being on dialysis and had a history of multiple strokes. So he was living a very challenging life, man. Rest in peace to Black Rob and DMX and now time for the Brain Love Podcast. Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, hey, hey guys, it's another Sunday night. It is, it's been beautiful in South Florida, man. The spring is here and it's just, we've had some great weather. It's starting to get consistently hot as well. Yesterday was a high of 90 Um, So wherever you are, if you're in Africa listening, if you're in Russia listening, if you're in Brazil listening, if you're in Canada listening, don't worry, the weather will get better for you as well. I suppose Brazil, you guys have pretty nice weather right now. And to my folks all over the U.S. of A., if you're not in warm weather, it's coming soon. Listen, guys, you're listening to Dr. Delvina the host of the Brain Love Podcast, which um, is out of South Florida. I'm here in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, Florida. If this is the first time you're listening to an episode, I began this podcast a year ago on Mother's Day, Mother's Day 2020. So I have a one-year anniversary approaching. And listen, I mentioned all of those places because you can tell in your analytics where people are listening. It'll tell you where they're located when they're um, downloading the episode or when they're uh, tuning in. 
So, and there's some other places too. And I thank you guys all over the world for listening and for allowing me to share my brain love. Um, I do this because I like sharing information and so many things go on. Ooh, that's like an understatement. So much happens inside of each of our individual brains. That's a little difficult to kind of understand and comprehend. But then when you factor in the brains of other people you're involved with, whether it's family, coworkers, friends, your significant others, all that stuff, it can get even more complicated. Things can get a little convoluted. So I try to talk about a lot of different things on here. A lot of different topics. I've been doing an episode every week. And there were a couple of weeks during which I did a few episodes. Um, There was one week where I dropped three episodes. One of them was kind of a share from uh, a previous project. But anyhow, there's something fresh, something new every Sunday night. And um, for the last couple of weeks, I've been speaking to the ladies and to the men too, right? Because the men need to understand what's going on inside of our brains. So I've been talking on the topic of women. Um, Let's see. So last Sunday, I talked about women and sexual health. I actually played for you an interview with Dr. Shruzan Gray and OB-GYN, obstetrician, gynecologist, board certified here in South Florida. Um, And I actually, I plan to do a part two tonight, but I decided to save it because prior to that, um, I guess, what, three weeks ago, I did an episode called Dear Ladies, um, explaining things. You know, there was a situation with Derek Jackson. And so I just wanted to explain to the women um, just things that they should know to create, to initiate, create, sustain, and maintain a healthy relationship. So I think I'm going to switch it up tonight. I'm going to switch gears and do a totally different topic And this kind of coincides with the episode from two weeks ago. Um, Two weeks ago was um, just a a quick episode, and I talked about um, George Floyd, DMX a little bit, addictions and setting limits. You know, it wasn't anything too serious. It was a shorter, lighter episode. It was about 22 minutes or so, 25 minutes. Um, Tonight I'm going to pick up on addictions again. And the reason why I'm doing that is because someone wrote in to me. They sent me a message in my DM. Yes, guys, DM me. You can email me also. My email address is info, I-N-F-O, at drdelvina.help, H-E-L-P. It's info, I-N-F-O, at doctor. It's abbreviated, D-R. I wouldn't want you to spell out D-O-C-T-O-R. So it's D-R, Delvina, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, dot help h-e-l-p like help me howard so you can email me if you have a question that you want me to answer on a podcast or on therapy thursday live because if you don't know i also do video sessions as well video blogs or blogs as they are also called to talk about different topics like uh this past thursday night i talked about um weight loss, weight management, and weight loss surgeries, which I'll be sharing some of that information here on the podcast. Coming up sometime soon, I'm not sure I have so many different episodes to drop and share with you guys because I kind of, I pre-record at times, you know, because I like to be prepared. I don't like to be last minute and trying to pull together an episode. So I try to keep a running schedule of different um, 
episodes for the podcast and also for Therapy Thursday. I'll try to plan in advance. So anyhow, follow me on YouTube. It's Dr. Delvina Thomas, Dr. I'll spell my name again, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N as in November, A, then Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, spelled the slave way, not the Latino way. Um, And follow me on Instagram and, um, you know, don't forget, give me a rating on the podcast. Go on one of these wonderful platforms that um, is housing my podcast, which you can go on Pandora. That's a recent addition for us. You can also go on Spotify iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and you'll find us. So um, go ahead, find us now. Go look, go look, go look. Look for us. Look for The Brain Love Podcast and subscribe, follow, like it. Also, give me a rating if you don't mind. You know, tell me how many stars you feel this podcast is worth. Is it quality content? If you think this is all bull crap and I shouldn't talk about all these different things, let me know that too. So I I just want to tell you what you have ahead, what we have ahead of us on the Brain Love Podcast, and then we'll get on the couch. Um, We have an episode, actually two episodes coming up with a a gentleman by the name of Victor Bell. And I'm going to warn you now, these, these two episodes are explicit. I'm, I'll have to place a rating on this episode, on both episodes. I'll have to uh, rate these episodes. They're kind of, they're both X-rated. I'll just put it to you like that. They're X-rated. I'm talking about, we are talking about some real stuff on, on these two episodes. We're talking about um, sexual molestation, sexual abuse of children. As you know, also April is Sexual Awareness and Prevention Month. I was just on with Jawan Strader on NBC Six Voices on um, today, this morning, um, giving some advisement on what people can do to help themselves if they've been a victim. Um, so he'll be coming up sometime, probably in May. And, you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, by the way. Um, and my one-year anniversary for the podcast. So anyhow, um, you'll hear from him. I'm also going to do a part two to women in sexual health. I'm also um, going to uh, play an episode for you or uh, do an episode on weight, weight loss and weight management featuring a black general surgeon by the name of Dr. Romaine Joseph. Romaine Joseph, who's here too in South Florida. So there's some good, good goodies coming up soon, man. Um I just love doing this. So, you guys know my question. Are you ready to take the couch? So, let's get into this DM. Someone wrote in and said, Dear Dr. Delvina, I have a boyfriend, and he seems to like drinking. Whenever we're out together, um, he has he has uh, quite a few drinks. We start out with one or two drinks while we wait on uh, our appetizers and our entrees to come. And while we're eating the entree, he orders another two drinks. She later defines these drinks, by the way, as um, mixed drinks, like cocktails and martinis. You know, we're not talking glasses of wine or beer. She then goes on to say that she notices they've been together for a few years. And, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm summarizing from a couple of back and forth DMs. They've been together for a couple of years, and she noticed that 
during the last couple of years that they've been together, it seems like his alcohol intake, pardon me, has gradually increased. Um, She says that over time she noticed that it takes more for him to feel a buzz. And this is what he's told her. Like, oh, I'm not really buzzing. I'm not feeling a buzz. And so he's uh, continued to increase his intake so that he can feel a buzz. She said that the other morning she noticed when he woke up, he was sweaty. Mind you, the AC is on. She says that he wasn't sick, but he woke up sweaty, and he woke up what we call tremulous. He had shakes in his hands. And, um, and he told her he felt dizzy and that he didn't feel well. He felt like he had to vomit. And her DM, she asked me if this is, has anything to do with the alcohol. And, you know, of course, I'm always transparent, so I had to respond and tell her, heck yeah. Sounds like to me he's experiencing alcohol withdrawal. And so alcohol withdrawal is a, is a real thing, and it's a medical emergency. Someone who abruptly stops drinking. And, and, and so people don't intentionally abruptly stop drinking. What happens is you just have a lapse in time between your last drink and your next drink. So let's say if you drink tonight at 10 o'clock and your last drink is at like 11 and you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning, or if your last drink is at brunch and um, you go throughout the day and then you wake up in the morning, you've pretty much, you haven't had anything to drink in some hours. And so what can happen is your body goes into what we call withdrawal. Your body is craving and missing that substance. And for folks who experience alcohol withdrawal, that that just tells you your alcohol use is more severe than maybe you thought it was and that you have a serious problem. We call that people, layman terms, it would be referred to as having an addiction. Someone who drinks until they're intoxicated is considered as abusing alcohol. Someone who experiences withdrawal from alcohol We call that a, we call all of those things a use disorder. But when you experience withdrawal, that is serious because alcohol withdrawal can kill you. It can kill a person, as can benzodiazepine withdrawal. Benzodiazepines, I'll just say this as an aside, those are tranquilizers. Those are medications like Xanax and Valium, Clonopins, Ativan. You may have heard of someone taking like a Valium before they fly or Xanax before they fly. Those uh, chemicals target the same receptors or the same area of the brain as alcohol. And so their effects are very similar. And also the outcomes can be very similar. If someone becomes addicted to benzodiazepines and abruptly stops taking them, they too can go into withdrawal like can occur with alcohol. And so this lady's DM is what changed the course of this podcast I was actually, as I said, going to do part two to women in sexual health, but decided to instead to talk about alcohol use disorder again. If you've been following the podcast for at least a few months, you heard a previous episode with myself and Brandon Chasting, a gentleman up in Philadelphia who battled opioid addiction with um, opioids or like things like pain pills and heroin. So he battled this addiction He was addicted to Percocet. So I'm going to talk addiction again tonight, guys. 
So I want to bring back this Therapy Thursday that I did with uh, Richard Johnson. He's a gentleman who lives in Maryland. He's from my hometown. Um, I grew up with him for them. Well, I'm not going to say I grew up with him. I met him in ninth grade. He was in the 10th grade. He was a year ahead of me. And um, I moved away in 2007 and moved here to Florida. Um, And so I wasn't really in touch with him. And, you know, people post what they want on, on Facebook and I don't hang around with a lot of gossiping type people. So I didn't know that he had issues or concerns with alcohol or that he was an alcoholic. That's another um, term that can be used to describe someone who abuses or has become addicted to alcohol or who has experienced withdrawal from abruptly stopping alcohol. So Rich is very transparent in this episode. He really tells you everything that he experienced and what he's gone through including, including, get this, being diagnosed with cancer. Ooh, I mean, this conversation is very, very heavy. I, I believe that Rich is about 46 or 47 years old, and he has at least two years clean now. He has over two years clean from alcohol. He's been sober. He achieved sobriety, and he's been maintaining it. He has been sober now for over two years. Um, He posted the other day on Facebook, but I can't recall how many days sober he has achieved. But it's a huge, it's a gargantuan achievement for someone who's battling addiction to wake up every day and say to themselves, I will not relapse, I will not relapse, I will not relapse, and listen to themselves and do it and not relapse. And with Rich, I'm sure he realized that his life depended upon this. His life depended depended upon remaining sober from alcohol. So I'm not going to tell you everything. I want you to listen to the episode. And um, please rate it. Let me know if it was helpful for you. At the end, I do give some helpful uh, resources. I give phone numbers and also websites that people can use if they know someone who's struggling from addiction as well. All righty, guys. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, 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 guys. It's Thursday night. It's another episode of Therapy Thursday. Are you ready to take the couch? I'm your board-certified psychiatrist in South Florida, Dr. Delvina Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, I have a very special episode. 2021 is going to be our year. Every year is our year, but every year we should grow and we should elevate and we should level up. In 2021, I'll be bringing you more shows about how to live more healthy. I talk about that all the time anyhow, but I also um, include things about relationships and sex. And so, but this year I'm talking everything mental health and wellness. And tonight's first show is about addiction. It's called Use Disorders Now. We have new criteria, um, new diagnoses for certain disorders in mental health and wellness. And tonight, tonight I'm talking alcohol use disorder with a special guest by the name of Mr. Richard Johnson, just to share a few things with you guys. 
African-Americans represent 14.2% of the total population in America. However, when we look at the impact addiction and substance use disorder has on the black community in America, it is startling. According to statistics related solely to alcohol, African-Americans tend to drink less, start drinking at a later age, and abuse or misuse alcohol less frequently than other races. However, according to the American Psychological Association, African-Americans suffer more negative consequences as a result of abusing or misusing alcohol. Some of these consequences can be illness, increased injuries, and negative social consequences. So, guys, listen, let's start with just uh, some information, a few facts before I bring Mr. Uh, Johnson on the screen. Substance use, mental health, and health care for people of color. That's what we're talking tonight. Thank you for joining me on the couch. Let's start with some of the reasons behind substance use disorders. If you listen to my podcast, the Brain Love Podcast, it's every Sunday night. It began in May. It drops a new episode drops every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Uh, this past Sunday, I interviewed Brandon Chasting, who shared he was very transparent about his challenges with opioid opiate use disorder. Tonight, again, we're talking about alcoholism. Substance use disorders are highly comorbid with mood-related psychopathology. And what we mean by that is illnesses like depression and bipolar, folks who suffer from those things oftentimes will self-medicate with a substance. Exposure to traumatic experiences are highly correlated with substance use disorders. I've mentioned this to you before. I think post-traumatic stress disorder is, un is underdiagnosed in the Black community. We know that trauma for Black Americans can occur in four primary categories, that being personal, so what you directly experience in a trauma, vicarious meaning living through someone else's trauma, which is what occurred when George Floyd was murdered on screen, transgenerational and historical, that has to deal with family traumas. Um, and also many Black Americans, we experience all four types of these traumas. We can experience all four types at some point in our lives. Trauma and substance use, we know that repeated traumatic experiences can lead to things like sadness, depression, nervousness or anxiety, mistrust, physical health problems, which you'll hear about tonight when Mr. Johnson tells his story, feeling helpless or hopeless, also feeling suicidal, um, issues and relationship problems, academic and occupational problems. And again, people will try to cope through substance use. We have stressors in the black community. Um, I like to look at these this way. There's four main types or four most prevalent stressors, that being racism, discrimination, violence, and poverty. So I'm glad you guys are joining me tonight, you guys. We're going to have a great engaging conversation about alcoholism. If you're not already subscribing to me on YouTube, please, please subscribe. Follow me on YouTube, Dr. Delvina Thomas. And now... Are you ready, guys? Clap it up for Mr. Richard Johnson, please. What's hey, Rich. Hey. What's going on? How are you? I appreciate you having me. And I appreciate you being here and sharing your story. This is going to help so, so many people, man. Just, I hope so. Yes. Yes, I know it is. I'm claiming it. I'm putting that in the universe. So Beautiful. welcome. Beautiful. And thank you thank for you. joining me on the couch. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here. So let's go ahead. Let's dive right into this. Um, Mr. Johnson, you stated that you dealt with alcoholism for about nine years, almost a decade. 
And this Correct. was after not drinking until you were 34 years old. Yep. I didn't never drank ever. I mean, I had a couple of little beers, a couple of shots here and there over my court in my younger days, but never drank, never liked the taste of it. This wasn't my thing. My, basically, my parents have always scared me into you drink, you're going to be alcoholic. You drink, you're going to be alcoholic. And I always listen to them. So kind of that mantra always stuck with me. And then all that changed in like 2009, I think. So, yeah, mm-hmm. didn't drink at all, really. Boom, got me. Within a year, done. Wow. So um, so how old were you when you had your very first drink? You know, snuck that drink in the parents' house or went to a party and had a drink. How old were you when you had your first beer, oh, glass of I wine, shot of liquor? <laughs> I think that was like 85 at the car wash. My man's uncle, my man's uncle, uh, Vance, rest in peace. He gave me like my first little taste of probably like some cheap ass Michelob or something back in like 84, 85. And I was in like fifth grade or something, but it was disgusting. So I really wasn't into it. So I guess that would technically be my first. Yeah. Okay. So you had your first little taste of some alcohol. You were, um, you said in 10th grade or so, I'm sorry, fifth no, grade fifth, or so you said? Fifth grade, yeah. Yeah, I about 85, 86, something like this. Okay. And then, so, um, you know, I, I'm going to make the assumption, we know making assumptions, they're not healthy, but based on what you're telling me in junior high school, you weren't drinking alcohol. You weren't in sixth Hell. grade, seventh grade, eighth grade drinking. Hell no. Absolutely okay. not. <laughs> no. Whatever, right. What do you think of it? Gotcha. And in high school? Nope. Okay. Now, College, since, nope. and since we're here, since we're talking about childhood, let's just get that out the way right now. Um, were you an only child or did you grow up with brothers and sisters? Only child by my mother and father. My father has two two other children. Three, if you oh. count them, my adopted um, uncle. But yeah, two other, two other biological children and me, but I was the only one between my mother and father. Okay. Were and you I the only one? one? Gotcha. Okay. So you were the only one in the household with your parents. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. And how would you des- describe your childhood? Awesome. It was a be- beautiful childhood. No, no complaints. Okay. All right. So guys, we're going to basically um, expel the notion of any abuse, right? Because Mr. Johnson is telling us right here, right now that his childhood was beautiful. It was great. Um, no psychological, no emotional, verbal, physical, sexual abuse growing up. No. None. All righty. Okay, guys. You know, and I wanted to emphasize that because oftentimes folks will, um, we know in certain scenarios, we have to tie certain things together. Um, and as I stated during that quick little slideshow, traumas have been associated with use disorders, with abusing substances. Um, and so we know that wasn't an issue for you. That's not a factor in this case. Mm-hmm. So you graduate high school, you go on to do some college or whatever you're doing after high school. Yeah. Uh, when when did you start drinking on a regular basis? Uh, 2009. We went to Puerto Rico. Uh, me and my, uh, she's now my ex-wife. We went to Puerto Rico in 2009 and uh, pretty much got drunk every night we were there. Came back, never stopped. And how old were you in 2009? 34, 35, I think. Okay. Okay. And I also want to check the box in another area. Guys, let's talk genetics really quickly. You said your mom and dad would scare you away from drinking alcohol because they told you you would become an alcoholic. 
Correct. Did you ever did you ever ask them, do we have alcoholics in the family or is alcoholism a problem in our family? Grandmothers. My father's mother was a really bad alcoholic. Okay. So he saw it firsthand because he split time between Maryland and New York. So he lived in New York with his mom during the week, came home with us on the weekends, and he lived with that for decades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she was a raging alcoholic. Okay. And so um, there aren't any traumas from the childhood. However, um, there, there is a yes here to genetics, to a family history of alcoholism. So a family history of alcoholism can be a risk factor for someone developing um, any sort of use disorder, not just alcohol use disorder. Um, so thank you for sharing that. But your parents, mm-hmm. neither one of them were ever alcoholics, you're saying? Nah. No, I've never okay. seen either one of them drink a, even so much of a beer in my entire life. And they're both still alive. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're 34. You go to Puerto Rico with your wife, uh, with the lady who was your wife at the time. And you guys are vacationing. You're partying. You know, most people do that when they go on vacation. They go out of the country, go mm-hmm. out of town or something like that. Um, you're drinking every day. And you said you were drunk every day of the trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you. You said you got back home and you continued the same trend. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's really as simple as that. It's, it was nothing. I drank because I loved it. it was just, I just okay. started then, kept it right, and just never stopped. Can you recall prior to that Puerto Rico trip how frequently you were drinking alcohol? Like, were you drinking just on the weekends? Were you drinking mm. every night? None. Zero. Wow. I drink it all. So, it, I mean, no, not even a occasional party. Didn't even drink then. I just, no, nothing until we went there. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That was a wrap. So, you, you come back from Puerto Rico and you start drinking every day? Uh, let's see. Yeah, I remember the day I got back, went right over to a liquor store. We lived in Abingdon. Cop a little something, start drinking that day. I think then it was maybe every other day. Gotcha. Yeah, it was every other day then. And that quickly progressed to daily. How long did it take to change to a, becoming a daily activity for uh, you? Weeks, maybe a month and a half, two months, maybe. Mm-hmm. Do you recall how much you were drinking at the time when it was an mm-hmm. everyday thing? Then just a half pint, maybe it's a little five out, a little half pint. Mm-hmm. I mean, I follow the the basic ABCs of all alcoholics. If that makes sense, there's a checklist, and I pretty much tick every box. So we'll start off small and expensive, like Syrah. You know what I'm saying? When that was just that was coming out, that was just popping. So I was buying that. Then I got too expensive. So to answer your question, just a half pint a day, and then it quickly progressed. Mm-hmm. So after a few weeks, you said that you began drinking every day. You're drinking about half a pint. At what point did you develop tolerance? That's when you realize the amount that you typically drink is no longer satisfying or producing that high or that feel good sensation or that euphoria for you. When did you have to increase the amount you were drinking? Um, About two months. Okay. About two months. Do you remember what was happening at the time? Were you feeling 
lonely? Were you sad about anything? Was anything mm-hmm. disappointing you? Was anything unright in your life or not right no. in your life at the time? Everything was beautiful. Just had a baby girl, uh, had a great job. Just got a nice little, nice little house up out the way. Um, a couple of real nice cars, making mm-hmm. good money. Literally nothing was going on in my life. That was okay. Uh, that was anything negative that could possibly be some kind of factor in making me drink more. I just enjoyed it. Everything was fine. Gotcha. So you like the way it tastes. You like the taste of it. You like having a nice cocktail or a drink. Mm, I didn't like the way it tastes straight. I had to mix it with, you know, something, orange juice, pineapple juice, something. <laughs> I, I, I could never drink it straight. Even in, in when I was at my bottom, I couldn't drink it straight. But um, that was my so next question. If you yeah, ever got to a point where you could drink it straight. Absolutely not. Okay. Vodka is, only drink vodka and it is disgusting. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, all right. So at the time there were no issues, no financial problems. The relationship was oh. going well. Yep. What was the first issue you encountered as a result of abusing alcohol? What was the first thing that started to go wrong? Was it in a relationship? Was it the way it made you feel? Like what was the the first blip or the first pothole? Because as of right now, Hmm. you're 34, 35. You've been drinking for about a year every day. Financially, things are in order. The relationship is great. You just had your baby girl. Um, I guess the first... Or let me interject this. Or did things just keep going well? And so it was like, okay, there's no problem here. I'm good. And so you were functioning. And so you just yeah. continued to drink. And then eventually you landed in the cycle of. Yes, that's a, that's a better route. Yes, that's okay. a better route to take. As far as questioning goes, that's a much better route to take. Because, I mean, I realized, um, I realized that I couldn't stop maybe four or five months in. But I was still, still had my job, still had everything. Mm-hmm. That quickly all dissipated, though. Quickly, what do you mean? T- take us there. Take us to that story. How long oh, did it oh, take for those things to um, change? Probably a year. I, I lost everything. Job, house, cars, family, everything gone. One year. Was that one year uh, as a result of drinking alcohol? Yep. By the time I got back in 2009, by 2010, it was all gone. So what happened? Is it that you were waking up late for work because of drinking the night before? Were you calling out from work because of drinking the night before? Nope. None of that. It's it's an interesting story. Um, and I'll tell it. Yeah. I was a, a safety manager at a, a distribution center. I was making really good money. Excellent money. Great job. But no, no problems. So basically, I lost that job indirectly, I think, because of drinking, because I was at that point, I was spending all my money on alcohol. So I would go through the, <laughs> this is funny, I would go through the lunch line, right? And they at the, at, at the time, they didn't have a credit card machine. So you had to go to the ATM and get, and get cash out. So sometimes I would like, all right, well, I'll just give it to you, you know what I'm saying, at, at, before I leave and I go to ATM. But sometimes I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But then that got to the point where, I didn't have any money, so I'll just give it to them the next day or a couple of days later. Somebody saw that, reported it, and then I was stealing, so gone. 
So indirectly, I was spending all my money on alcohol and not, I was still paying them, but uh, a week later, but somebody saw that, reported it, investigation, stealing, gone, mm-hmm. cut and dry. Okay. Wow. So you lose your job. And then as a result of losing your finances, you're no longer oh, able yeah. to pay for the house. Yep. Cars gone, house gone, everything gone. That was the, um, that was the turning point. Didn't stop me in, in, in any way at all, but that was a, that was a turning point financially and fiscally. And that's when it all started to go. That's when it started to go down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're, this is still the first year of you abusing alcohol, right? We're still in the first year. After, yep. So right around the, like the year cut off and then, you know, just progressively a few months after that, that's when it all started. So once you lost your job, did you think to yourself, well, let me slow down on the drinking. I got to get help mm-hmm. for this. Help? No. Slow down, yes. So but I couldn't do it. Nothing, nothing at all. Just kept drinking more and more. So I went even deeper in the, down the rabbit hole. And how did you go deeper? Is it that you didn't find a job and you were just focused on drinking? Did you go find a job, another job, and you were just still drinking? And and tell us about that part. Mm, let's see. That part was I was unemployed for, ooh, I don't know how long I was unemployed for. I was, I was unemployed collecting unemployment, but I was still, by that time I was, by that time I was drinking in the mornings. So I was morning drinking, afternoon drinking, evening drinking. I would drink all day. Um, and I was just getting my little unemployment money. And then we lost the house, so I had to move my kids. And uh, my ex, my, I had to move the kids and Tiffany back into my parents' house, which is only supposed to be for, I don't know, a few months. We ended up lasting like four years. Mm. So. I went from yeah, it was it was bad like every day, and oh, and it got worse from there. Okay. Tell us about that. Uh, let's see, you got so many stories. Um, after that, then we moved to Edgewood, and by that time, I was full blown. I had I did get another job working for Wegmans, which is a great place to work. Um, and I stayed there up until my uh, cancer diagnosis, but um. I drank so heavily, so often that it was just, it was just, it was disgusting. It was despicable. I couldn't look in the mirror. I couldn't do anything. I was physically, I was disgusted with myself. Mentally, I was disgusted with myself. I destroyed the relationship with my wife, my kids. Um, It just got, it got so bad. And I wasn't a violent drunk. I didn't yell or be mean or anything to my kids or, or even her despite all the crazy shit she did to me, but I still, um, I was a happy drunk. Mm-hmm. And uh, it still didn't matter because I was still a drunk. You know what I'm I, was, I spent all my money on it. I, um, all my time was wake up, wake up, drink, mm-hmm. eight o'clock in the morning, wait for the next door to open, sleep, go back again, go back again. It was just a never ending cycle of madness for years. Mm-hmm. Tell me if this sounds like you. Um, say yes. I'm going to read to you a statement and you say yes, if this was true for you during your addiction. Alcohol was taken in larger amounts over a longer period than was intended. Yes. 
There was a persistent desire or unsuccessful efforts to cut down or control your alcohol use. Yes. A great deal of time was spent in activities necessary to obtain alcohol, use alcohol, or recover from its effects. One more time on that one. A great deal of time was spent in activities necessary to obtain alcohol. Yes. Craving or strong desire or urge to use alcohol. Yep. Recurrent alcohol use resulting in a failure to fulfill major role obligations at work, school, or at home. Yep. Continued alcohol use despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused or exacerbated by the effects of the alcohol. No. I don't know. I think you said you you had social and interpersonal problems. You had problems with your wife and your kids. Is so that, that, yes. Okay. If, if they're in if they're in that equation, then yes. Yeah. What about important social, occupational, or recreational activities were given up or reduced because of alcohol use? So, yes, that's okay. Recurrent alcohol use in situations which is physically hazardous. Like, did you ever drive under the influence? Did you ever? Okay. So, that's a, a yes, also. Alcohol use is continued despite knowledge of having a persistent or recurrent physical or psychological problem that is likely to have been caused or exacerbated by the alcohol. Yeah. So let's yeah. stop there. What um, let's start with the physical. So your, your, your timeline right now, you said you were in your parents' home for about four years. You guys moved out, went to Edgewood. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, Rich and I are both from Maryland. So he went to Edgewood, which is in Harford County. Um, and you said you basically couldn't look at yourself in the mirror because of how you had treated your, your family um, because of drinking and, and abusing the alcohol. At that point in time, had you discovered or learned that you developed any physical health problems because of your overuse of alcohol? No, just high blood pressure because I was I was huge, like three hundred fifty pounds. So, so alcohol led to weight gain and obesity. It sounds like yes. Okay, so that's a a, a physical health issue. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it looks like you you lost the weight though. You oh, lost a lot of the weight. Oh yeah, it's gone. Never coming back. I think I'm down like one hundred twenty. So I'm never bringing, I'm never getting that. Good for you. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And then what about any persistent psychological problems because of the alcohol use? Like at any point, and when you said you didn't want to look at yourself in the mirror, I thought to myself, okay, he was probably suicidal at that point. You know, whenever you don't want to look Mm -hmm. at yourself and don't like yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. I was, I was, I've been there. I was, I was there during that time. I didn't want to live anymore. I just didn't. So it was. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said the, the looking in the mirror part of it would it to me not uh, maybe not understanding the underlying um, mental health uh, uh, yeah. aspects of that. It was just I didn't like my physical appearance, mm-hmm. but obviously it could have been something uh, much deeper than than just that, which it probably was. But yeah. Well, at some point, you know, alcohol is a depressant. So alcohol can cause depression. Um, It's Mm -hmm. overuse can lead to sadness. And actually, 
listen, uh, for folks listening or watching, it doesn't take using alcohol for years for it to make you feel sad or melancholic or blue. <laughs> Some nope. folks, after one drink, it makes yeah. them feel low and sad and blue and melancholic, and they never pick up another drink <laughs> again. So it can cause that in the early and in, in the beginning of uh, trying alcohol and also a, a continuously using as well. So you shared with me previously that you experienced sadness, depression, anxiety, or nervousness, mm-hmm. and suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. At, at one point, I guess when you were in the throes of the alcoholism, maybe you didn't realize that this is what you were feeling. When you look back on it, when do you think those things started to occur? At what point in the addiction? You said you spent nine years battling alcoholism. So was it when you got to Edgewood? So I guess you were at year five or six, or was it later mm-hmm. in the disease? Oh, it was it was then. That's that's it was then. Yeah, it was then that I started to really, really look, uh, really not treat myself right on, on, from the mental side. Physically, I wasn't treating myself well for many years, but then I just, I just, I just given up. I completely gave up on myself. I let myself go completely. So it was then that it, it turned into a more of a, um, a mental anguish at that point. So, so what year are you at at that time? Mm. Seven years in, eight years Six in? Six years ago, yeah. Yeah, so that'd be 2020. Yeah, so I guess about six, yeah, about six, seven years in, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And did you ever think to yourself, I got to go get help for this? You, you've been in three rehabs, you said. So when mm-hmm. when was the first rehab? Two years ago. About two and a half years ago was the first time I went. They were in succession, so they were really close to each other. So okay. I think the first time I went in was about a year and a two years, about two and a half years ago was the first time I went in. So you started going to these rehabs at the end of nine years of abusing alcohol. This is not like the first time was during early on in the first nine years or halfway through in the first nine years. Mm-mm. I started going like seven, about seven years. And that's, that not, that's part of that, of that nine years is, is, is the rehab because I didn't stop drinking the first two times I went there. Gotcha. So. And how long were these rehab programs? Was it a 30 day inpatient where you stayed yes. there? That 28 days inpatient stayed. Yep. Okay. So the first and second rehab, um, you know, I, I don't want to use the word failure, but you fell off of the horse. <laughs> no, I feel it was failure. <laughs> Definitely fell off the wagon, the horse, whatever you fell off the donkey, the everything. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. So, yep. First time I lasted uh, a couple of months, second time I lasted like two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I went right back in. Mm-hmm. But, so the first time you said you lasted a month, was it? Yeah, about that. And the month, second month and time, maybe. two mm-hmm. weeks. Okay. And what advice did those folks give you when you relapsed? When they when you shared that you relapsed? Come back in the rehab because they teach the same. I went to the same place three times. They teach the exact same thing. Uh, the syllabus is the same, mm-hmm. but I just. Didn't really understand. I didn't. I, I understood it every time, but I didn't uh, process it as well as I did until the third time. Gotcha. So, All right, guys. 
So you got to hang in there and be resilient and don't give up. Don't Absolutely. give up. I know if I can do it, y'all can, because I never thought I was going to start drinking, ever. Wow. When did you realize I can do this? I can quit this habit. Uh, the third time I was here. Okay. Yeah, so the third first time I the first two times were you motivated? Did you feel like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm here to kick mm-hmm. this. Did you feel yeah. that way? Yeah. I well, was pumped, excited. Mm-hmm. Just got out and just didn't didn't play the tape through, didn't use the tools that they gave me the, the first two times or first time I was in there. Gotcha. And I just said, you know what? I could have one. Nah, can't just have one. Okay. Was it a 12-step program that you were in? That was that was a part of the uh, curriculum there. Yes, okay. every day it was um, so it's a good program, but you have to want it. If you don't, if you're there, just yeah, just to say you want to get help and not want to change it, never look about do the same thing again, mm-hmm. which I did twice. So. Gotcha. What do you recall being a trigger for your first relapse? There's always a trigger. Yeah, uh, boredom. Boredom was my trigger. That's because um, you, I mean, I, I, I'm a DJ, I, I'm a director, I'm a writer, I produce, I make music, I, I do it all. I'm good at I'm Lulu at so much stuff. And it took everything from me. I sold my, I lost my DJ equipment, I lost my film equipment, I lost my desire to do anything. Alcohol snatched all of it. So I had nothing to do. But sit there alone and drink, and that was my and that was my trigger was boredom. Wow, and I was bored a lot. Okay, and the second time when you relapsed, second time I lasted like four days. I drank like four days after I got out of there. What was the trigger, Rich? Uh, I don't know what the trigger for that was. That was hmm. Everything was everything was bad at that point, and I was uh I was at home. I remember when I first drank, I was at home chilling in the house because I didn't want to go nowhere. And then I was like, "Well, let me go over, let me go over Shorty Crab, see what's popping." And she was my little drinking partner, which was a mistake. And then it was off to the races from there. So people, again, places, and things. People, uh, places, and things. You know. Yeah. The boredom got, got me. Yeah. yeah. Boredom got me sitting at home, went over somebody's grave. I shouldn't have been over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Off to the races. Two weeks later, back at rehab for the third time. Question for you. Did this homegirl know you've been in rehab? Yeah. She's the first to do that, of course. You know her. I ain't gonna say her name on here, but you know her well. Yeah, I don't say her name. No, I ain't. <laughs> <laughs> Did she say to you, look, Rich, don't drink that. Don't do it. No. She was a raging alcoholic herself. She didn't care. Damn. All right. So, see, that's the other lesson, folks. You know, boredom is a common trigger for relapsing. And so you got to get yourself engaged. You got to stay engaged with uh, with um, Alcoholics Anonymous, with AA. You got to have a sponsor so you can pick up the phone and say, damn, I'm craving. I want to drink. Tell me what I got to do not to drink. Yep. It helps. Right? Believe me, it helps. 
And then those people, places, and things, if you're still going around the same places, the same people, the same things that are associated with your addiction, it'll be so difficult for you to achieve sobriety and maintain that sobriety. I don't think it's possible. I don't. You're saying if you're going around the same people, places, and things. Never make it. Tell me what, what has been, or what was the worst consequence of your alcoholism? Ooh. And if you have more than one, you can say, say them all. (laughs) No, I have one. Uh, I got a, I got a DUI. And now the DUI is something that, you know, millions of people have gotten some, uh, some worse than others, but my DUI was different because I got mine. DUI, excuse me, laying on a couch at my mother's house. I was in there sleeping at two o'clock in the morning and state police, I wake up, state police is in the living room with my dad. (laughs) So they take me out, they take me out to the outside of the house and give me a field sobriety test. Now I ain't get pulled over by them. I'm at the I'm at the house for like an hour and some change. So I'm smashed. I'm done. Uh couldn't stand up. I tried to I tried to run from them in my driveway. So um <laughs> I'm sorry. <yeah. laughs> Said you tried no, to run from no, in your no, driveway. He even, he even laughed like, come on, bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, man, don't get in this car. <laughs> He's like, go and get in this car, man. So But bro, hold up, bro. Rich. Wait, wait, wait. I'm befuddled here. Did something happen and someone saw your car and gave the tag oh, number and they came and oh, found I'm, you? Oh, I'm about to get to that. Okay. Um, so I get back to the station, I believe. And the next, I don't remember any of pretty much none of the station stuff, but I remember waking up and I thought it was a dream. Uh-huh. And then my dad comes in there. It's like, yo, blah, blah, you did this, you did, you did this, you did that. So what, what had happened was uh-huh. I had, I was, what I thought had happened was I had back into somebody's car leaving the driveway of our house in Edgewood. Mm-hmm. But what I found out months later is, well, I found out um, well, what I did was I ran into another car on the exit ramp going to my house and drove mm-hmm. off. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, mm-hmm. driving that car was my ex-wife and my daughter was in it. Whoa, I just just caught what you said. The car yep. you hit on the exit ramp was your ex-wife and your daughter was in the car. Yep. Damn. Was that after the second stint in rehab or that was? That was right before. I, I, that, day, that same day after that, I went back into rehab. For the third time? For the third time, yeah. So it, inside your head, you said, I, I cannot. I almost killed my ex-wife and my daughter. I could have killed them. I could have. Yeah, it could have been worse than it was. Yeah, she and Tiffany had called the police on me and she had no other choice. I'm glad she did. Yeah. Yep. Shout out to shout out to your ex wife, man, to yep. help get you back on that path. Yeah. That's the only about the only thing she did, but she did that. <laughs> we we're not gonna do that on here. <laughs> no, we ain't. That's, that's a whole different podcast. Please call me on that one. <laughs> Please, I'm ready.
<laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, what should we what, what should we call that episode? Uh, oh God, I don't even. Oh, so many, so many things want to come out of my mouth right now, but I won't say. But um, okay. relationship, uh, spousal madness, uh, relationship craziness, all that. Mm. Is this your relationship from high school? This no. Someone, oh, okay. This is someone after high school. Yes, but we've okay. been together since 90. We have been together since 95. So we've gotcha. been together for 20, 25 years. Okay. But now you guys but, are divorced. Thankfully, yes. Okay. Okay. It's better for both of us. We're much, much happier apart. Okay. Okay. So tell me, what was another negative consequence, major negative consequence of your alcoholism? Mm, I guess losing everything. But I think the, um, aside from the uh, material objects that I lost, uh, I would say that um, mm, losing my uh, self-esteem and self-respect was mm. probably the hardest for me to deal with because um, I had just given up on myself. I didn't care. Gotcha. It was just the way it was, and I was okay with that, and I was never, ever like that in my entire life. Do you have ever. your self-respect back and your self-esteem? Oh, God, I love myself more than anything. You can't tell me nothing now. Now, uh, Rich, yeah. I'm sitting here knowing what you shared with me. I swear, you are not saying the thing I'm expecting you to say. <sighs> I'm asking you, what is the, the, the most challenging, the most negative consequence of your alcohol abuse? And maybe you're not seeing oh, this thing um, as a consequence of your alcoholism, but I'm pretty sure it is. The, um, I don't know if you want to hear something specific. Uh, you were diagnosed with colon, stage four colon cancer. Yes. that Are you talking about a result? Okay. Okay, and now I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, physically, yes. I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, yes. Yes. And um, I'm sure that the drinking and the smoking didn't help <laughs> in me not getting that. So I'm 100% attributing that to my drinking. Yeah. But yes, that was a one. Okay. And yeah, that was, was one a- month after being in rehab after your third time yep. in rehab was, you were diagnosed yeah I, I was out for i was in, living in a halfway house um at that point because i was i never did what they told me to do after you know post rehab so i was going to do everything they said everything halfway house 90 meetings 90 days or whatever you want i'm going to do it because i do not want to drink. so yeah. i guess about a month about a month and a half out Went to uh, dinner with it was it was my parents' anniversary. We went down to Olive Tree. I'm sure you remember the Olive Tree. Yeah, <laughs> um, love their crab cakes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Olive Tree. One hundred percent big shout out. So went down there, came back, stomach ache, um, wouldn't go away. Went to the ER. Uh, the, um, said food poisoning. Cool. Um, mm. Went back a couple of days later. Uh, went to my primary care doctor. He was like, "Well, you have kidney stones." I'm like, "All right." But well, we really can't tell unless we do a scan. But at that time, my insurance needed a couple of days for me to get the scan or something. Um, so then, less than 24 hours later, I was back in the ER, just in so much pain and throwing up. And I went in there, 
Mm. They did the scan. It was like, okay, we see a mass. Then did the little biopsy. Biopsy. Okay, you got colon cancer, which was okay. It's big. We could take it out. Okay, well now it's spread to now it's spread to someplace else, which makes it stage four once it spreads to another organ. So yeah, yeah so that was rough telling my kids that. Really rough. I made it through though, but it was it was rough. So you did you you underwent chemo and and or radiation or? Yes, first it was um, it was I can't remember what was first the surgery or the radiation. Okay, I had surgery first. They had to get it out immediately. Then I went through three months of chemo, which um, was awful. Uh, It was, it wasn't, I didn't get nauseous or anything like that, but it was, it was a, you ever, you ever eaten a, uh, a sour patch cube where it hurts right here? Yeah. Everything I ate was like that. It didn't matter. All that I could drink, all that I could eat was water and coffee. That was it. Everything was painful, tears. I used to cry because of it. Mm. So. I went through three months of that. Then I had that. Then I found out it spread to my liver. So after that, I had to wait for, I had to be off chemo for a month to have my liver surgery. So then I had 40% of my liver removed. Then after about a month of recovery, I went back on chemo for another three months. And that was the worst chemo. That's when I got sick. It was, it was awful. Absolutely mm-hmm. awful. And uh, I did that. Went through three more months of chemo. Then I got. Well, now by this time I'm sober, but I got out of. Um, got a full. You know, I'm back on my grind. Been to the gym every day. I'm good. I'm trying to lose my weight. I'm looking great, feeling great. And then boom, spread in my lung. So then I had to have lung surgery. So they cut the spots out of my lung. So then I'm down for another like three months. So it was just one thing after another after another. Wow. Yeah, this won't go away. And but so I'm good when, now. When was the last surgery? Two months ago. Cool. So recent. Yeah, it was just, yeah, I literally just started being able to work out again three weeks ago. Wow. Yeah. But what I tried to do was anything I could do to avoid. Uh, chemo is, is the route I wanted to take. I could have got that done in radiation and been done in four days, but it could have came back. So I elected to have the surgery. Anything I have to do to bypass chemo, I'm going to do it unless I have to, then I'll do it. But, so this this third go round with the lung, you didn't do any chemo. You just had the surgery to yes. excise it, to cut it out and no chemo. Yes. Did now, your oncologist chemo. recommend you have chemo? No. He... His recommendation was um, you have two options to get because the the spots on my lung were really small, so they weren't like a, it wasn't like crazy or nothing there. The really small, a couple of set, I think it's judged by centimeters or millimeter. I can't remember, mm-hmm. but they were really tiny. So he said you can have something you to have radiation done in four days. Outpatient, you come in for an hour, you leave, you can go on about your normal life. But the possibility it can come back later was like seven percent. So if you go to surgery, the possibility of coming back is like 2% or 1%. So I was like, well, I just had the surgery be down for three weeks and uh, come back. So that's what I did. And that three weeks sucked. It sucked. I was, it was bad because I was alone. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, me and Tiffany hadn't been together for years, but I, I just got to, I was in a mental 
Yeah. I'm a man, so you know how we get we get sick and turn the babies, and I'm and I'm one of them. And mm-hmm. it was very hard on me mentally to go through that again and not having someone there. But I got through it. Um, but I guess to bring it back full circle is that all of this happened because I started drinking alcohol, and I totally believe that. Yeah, alcohol was a cause of all of it. Alcohol can definitely be um, a carcinogen. It can a cancer causing agent. Yeah. You know, along with, I mean, do you have any family history of cancer as well? No, nope. Yeah, no. but along with the diet issues, because I'm, you know, when folks are addicted to alcohol or abusing alcohol, the way that you were, you don't think about eating healthy. You're eating a lot of fast food, a lot of processed foods. Um, and sometimes you're just not eating at all. You're just, your calories are the alcohol. That was, that was me. It was the latter. Um, I started off eating crazy because I'm, I love food. I'm a food snob. Um, I cook, I can cook my ass off and cook it for years. Um, and I love food. I love cooking it. I love talking about it, I love reading about it. And, uh, eating like a dumbass for a long time. And, then once it once the alcoholism got really bad, I didn't drink at all. Like oh, I mean, I, I didn't eat at all. I just drank yeah. all that, mm-hmm. all that. That's all I did. Well, I'm pleased to hear that um, you're in recovery. You're sober from the alcohol. Absolutely. And um, yeah, congratulations. How many are you counting the days or counting the the months? That month is one twenty. I will be twenty one months on the fifteenth. My daughter's, actually my daughter's birthday, my daughter's birthday party is pretty much the same day. I celebrate my 21 months, a sweet 16 party. So gotcha. I'll be 21. And the next, the next time I'll really make a big deal about it is, is two years. I mean, it's all, every day is a big deal, but yeah, that's when I'll, you know, do a little cele- celebratory, mm-hmm. something celebratory for myself on that two year mark. Cause that's a, that's a big deal. Cause it was, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's so many stories. And listen, big up, big ups to God, to the higher power, to the universe, too, for bringing you through. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I pray every day and it works. It does work. I pray. I yeah. still pray every day. It works. I'm still here. I'm happy. I, uh, I love myself. I'm the happiest I've been in decades. And it's it's a beautiful thing to just let it all go. And mm-hmm. No more codependency, no more toxicity. Just. Mm-hmm. My kids fuck with me. My babies fuck with me. I, I love it. I love being a dad. I love it. I'm, I'm loving it too. I'm loving the success story. Now tell folks, how are you staying sober? Do you have a sponsor? Or are you going to AA still? Um, I went to AA for uh, probably a good six or seven months. And then I got sick. So I couldn't. Like the last AA meeting I went to, I literally went downstairs right the day after surgery with the IV stand and went and had that, had my drawers on in the in the, in the little <laughs> hospital row. I went down there, had my drawers in the hospital row, went to the meeting. So, you know, I was yeah. dead ass serious about you know maintaining my standard of my recovery. But um, I was sick. I was down for so long. I just didn't. I stopped going to meetings. But um, mm-hmm. I, I got to take that back. I did go to meetings after that for a while, but then I got sick and I stopped. And then after that, COVID hit, and then obviously there weren't no meetings. So. But I absolutely recommend going to AA, 90 meetings, 90 days. Just go every time you can. Get a sponsor. It, it absolutely helps. It really does. 
I don't, my sponsor, I don't have, I don't have a sponsor now, but mm-hmm. um, it's, I'm in a different, um, mentally I'm in a totally different place. I know that I'll never, I'm, I, I, I'm, how can I say it? I don't have the, I'm not going to, uh, mm-hmm. how can I say this? I don't have the, the, the temerity to believe that I got this and I'll never drink again because this, it's, it could always happen. But um, literally, Mm-hmm. If I if I consciously take one drink, every just that quick, everything I've done, everything I've done is undone. It's all gone. I have to start over, and I am not doing that. I got tired of taking L's, tired of being a loser. I am not going back to that. There's no way. I like I that point of view. I like that. I cannot, I cannot look my daughter in her face and come in here drunk. I can't. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll fucking die first before that happens. Okay. All right. Ooh, well, I appreciate your transparency and your full disclosure. Thank you for joining My me absolutely. on the couch tonight. No problem at all. Oh, I, I had a good time. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. All right. So do me a favor and say brain love. Brain love. <laughs> you didn't have to say it that <laughs> way. But <laughs> brain love. Brain love. Yes. Brain love. Thank brain you. Brain love. You're welcome. <laughs> and next time, when you have that one on relationships, you call me. Gotcha. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us on joining us on the couch tonight. Um, that was my guest, Mr. Richard Johnson, and you heard his um, his challenges with with life, um, struggling with alcohol addiction for nine years, um, losing a house, losing his home, losing uh, briefly the relationship with his children, and losing his marriage after twenty five years, and. Um, and everything culminating into a diagnosis of cancer um, some months ago. He's had uh, stage four colon cancer that metastasized to his liver, to his uh, his lungs, and um, he's had three surgeries. So, uh, you know, just when people share their stories like that, it's, it's just so helpful, especially for those um, who may be struggling and going through the the same things or some of the same things. So thanks for joining me. And if you are struggling or if you know a family member or a friend who's struggling with addiction of any sort, it doesn't have to be alcoholism, please encourage them to visit the SAMHSA website. It's SAMHSA, which stands for Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. But you don't have to remember all of that. It's here on the bottom screen. It's samhsa.gov.gov. You can also contact the National Helpline. It's a crisis hotline. It's 1-800-662-HELP, H-E-L-P, 4357. Um, this has been another episode of Therapy Thursday, guys. Please join me next Thursday night. I'll be talking to Dr. Sydney Coupe, an internist here in South Florida, and we're discussing the infamous COVID-19 vaccine. All right. I want to keep y'all informed. So once again, party, let's have some fun, y'all. Thanks for joining me on the couch. It's Dr. Delvina. Brain love.
These days, it's harder than ever to stand out from the crowd, and it's even harder to get paid for the work you put online. Luckily, there's a new way to put your work out into the world. It's called Discovered. Discovered is a new digital platform and social network where creatives share their projects to new audiences and earn more money from their work than any other platform. Ready to get out there? Visit discover.tv today. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need It's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes. Learn from them and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.